What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. It's a burb. The waveform, the bird. The bird? Is that a technical term that I don't know? Oh, it's... Is it ju- lingo? It's uh, it's audio slang for the waveform. <clears throat> Is it really? Yeah, I don't know where I heard that. Bird or burb? Well, I mean, it turned into... Spell it. B-I-R-D, but I, it's okay. been turned into burb. <laughs> really? Uh, among me and my co-hosts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not yeah. It's not a thing. It's just your thing. Exactly. All right, inside uh, inside scoop. Now for you're fire. now you're in the friendly fire nest. <laughs> we still need to do our joint episode. Bef- I mean, it's not even going to happen this year. That's the saddest thing. It's not going to happen in the next two weeks. I was wondering if it was on the calendar and I had just missed it, but yeah, I, I don't see it. Yeah, we had a great time, Adam. <laughs> Fuck, I knew it. We didn't tell you about it. <laughs> Jeez. And you did a Stallone uh, movie without me. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Movie Crush, everyone. I'm talking with Adam Pranica already. Might as well leave that stuff in. That's fun. Oh, yeah. That's the best stuff. That's the cream. Adam of Friendly Fire, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Max Fun Network and uh, Greatest Generation. And what's the newest, newest one? Uh, the new Star Trek show is called Greatest Discovery. Greatest Discovery. And that's I always forget that. a show about Star Trek that you pay for. You don't pay for the oh. podcast. You pay for that kind of Star Trek Oh, really? It's yeah. a, uh, what, what's it on? You got to give some money to CBS for, really? uh, for the new Star Trek. Yeah. Wow. That's a smart move by them. They'll yeah. make a lot of money off those Trekkies. It looks like they're making a boatload. It's a very, very polished show. 
Now, I know your co-host, John Roderick, because I'm his friend and listener to Friendly Fire. (laughs) He says Star Trek just to, Uh you know, be contrary. But does he say trackers instead of trackies instead of trackies? Oh, that would be the worst. All right. So you haven't heard him say that word? I haven't. No, but don't give him any ideas. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I need to get, uh, I told you, but off era behind on Friendly Fire. So I'm looking forward to getting back into it. How dare you? I had noticed our... uh, a tick down in our uh, statistics for the show. Oh, I'm downloading a motherfucker. Yeah, That's all that counts. We're down to we're down to four subscribers, and they're all our parents. <laughs> My old joke with listeners who would write in and say they didn't listen as much anymore, but like started, I was like, as long as you're still downloading it, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it counts the same to me. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> you skipping commercials? No one cares. <laughs> also, thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right, so everyone knows uh, a couple of things. Adam and I are, are continuing our Paul Thomas Anderson series. We're almost done, for now at least. Uh, you know, when he has his next movie comes out, we'll make a special episode for that, right? Absolutely. We should keep it up. As long yeah. as he's making movies, we'll keep doing these PTA meetings. Yeah, but we'll have to... Like, I don't want to wait just and do a podcast with you every three years, so you'll have to pick someone else, another theme out. I, uh, like you tried to do a bunch of research before stepping up to the mic for these shows. And I had the thought that like in every, in every article about Paul Thomas Anderson, he always manages to sprinkle in his influences or his favorite movies of the moment or whatever. Uh Maybe we should do a series that's just on his influences. Oh, like films or uh, filmmakers or both? Yeah, both. Okay. I think that would spreadsheet that that would, that would send (laughs) us down a, a pretty fun path. I think. I love it. And in a way, we're still honoring the master. I don't need much of a reason to keep doing shows with you, Chuck. No, I know. Uh, And the other thing that you know that we do, part two of that opening statement was uh, that Adam and I uh, always take this time to just fellowship with one another. Oh, yeah. Be with each other because we're close friends who miss each other and love each other. And we share a drink uh, together. And Adam, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking uh, a just a a classic uh, show drink that Ben and I have when we're out doing live shows for Greatest Gen. Just a giant oh, okay. tequila soda. Yeah. Uh, just probably a triple. Okay. Uh, I'm drinking the uh, Uno organic Blanco tequila in here. And a little soda and like a little lime or not? Yeah, a little soda, a little lime, but it is like, uh, it's three quarters tequila, one quarter yeah. soda. <laughs> you know the ratio. We've had these together. Yeah, that's a very clean, nice drink, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of ice, biggest cup you got, that kind of I thing. I love it. Yeah, it's good. So I'm drinking a uh, a martini, how I drink my martinis, which is uh, slightly different in one way than a lot of people. I have a... A gin martini, obviously. Obviously. This is a martini. I have it up, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Farmer's Botanical Gin. And I'm using, uh, I, I like a dirty martini. And instead of using the olive juice from a jar, I have, uh, you ever heard of Dirty Sue? No, but I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Oh, actually, I should plug. not look up Dirty Sue. Uh, I'm, I'm going to rely on Wait, you. why did that website, why did that URL autoload? What's going on? It's already bookmarked. <laughs> so it's Dirty Sue is, uh, is a company that makes, um, I don't, I mean, it's not olive juice, obviously, olive brine or whatever yeah, I'm, in I'm, a bottle. 
I'm I'm seeing it. Pack of four. And I, and I get that because I don't eat olives. And that's the weird you thing. I like don't. a dirty martini, but I don't like olive. So what I do, as you'll see, my friend, is I do a dirty martini with uh, the lemon twist. And it's really nice to me. The citrus and the salt works. That's the best I've of both a lot worlds of, right there. I've gotten a lot of side eyes from bartenders, uh, but I love it. That's how I have my martini. And it's really delicious. So, Does that have a name? Just the brine and the twist, but not the olives themselves? It feels like I don't it think should. so. It's called the the Chuckini. Wow. The Chuck the Chucktini. Chucktini. Sounds delicious. I like it. Don't let me have another one. A, we haven't started talking about the movie yet. <laughs> a friend of mine made me a martini, also uh-huh. with gin. We're in Texas, I should I should mention this. That's the most important part of this story. Friend okay. from Texas makes me a martini. Uh, and on the skewer is a jalapeno, a pickled jalapeno. Mm. Oh. Also very briny. In that in that pickled jalapeno brine, I mean the it was, but it was uh, but it worked. Something, I like the hot margarita. Yeah, it was the only one I've ever had. I had not thought to make one for myself. Very but, um, interesting. Yeah, I don't everything think comes with a jalapeno in Texas, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I know they put them in the Bloody Marys. Yeah, yeah, with a big fucking piece of bacon too much i just want a little bloody mary is that why is that suddenly off the menu it feels like when you get a bloody mary it comes in a fucking growler i know with a sandwich like stabbed through the top of it i don't i don't need that much of anything no i'm with you i'm a i'm a one bloody i make a good bloody mary too we should try that next time you guys come and stay with me let's do that for sure and go to the lake which i miss uh this makes me think of hodgman though because i don't drink a ton of martinis but whenever hodgman is in town especially when he stays with us I'm doing a lot of martini stirring for the two of us. I love that about hanging out with him. Yeah. He's a gin man like me. He really is. All right, dude. So we are tackling Inherent Vice, which, as you know, is a movie that I had never seen until today, which uh, I think I explained it briefly. But the deal was, is when it came out, and it's still weird that I didn't see it, I heard such negative things from people I know personally. Yeah that I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to see a bad Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And then it kind of just slipped off my radar because I could see that wearing off and then me wanting to see it. But Mm -hmm. I kind of just forgot about it to a certain degree. And that's my reason. I think it's a great reason. I have been (laughs) opening night Paul Thomas Anderson guy for his entire oove, but Uh not for this movie for the same Uh, reason. Yeah. Because the pre-buzz was no good? I kicked the can down the road a little bit. I didn't want to have my heart broken. And then uh-huh. I started to hear some more favorable things from, you know how you have like your main filmmaking friends that you yeah. you really trust their opinions. And then there are yeah. like the tertiary <laughs> ones that are like, well, they're kind of- gar- Your garbage friends. They're, <laughs> coin flip, they're coin flip friends. You can take their opinions or leave them. And I started yeah, sure. to hear more and more positive from from that group. Yeah, And that's what got me into the theater a couple weeks maybe after it had been out. And that that had been enough time to empty out the theater and give me a nice private showing. Sure. At least it felt that way. And that's how I saw it. So I did see it in its its theatrical run, but um, also right. Well, I will say this too, in looking through, um, I watched it today, then kind of did some research on it and read a number of reviews and most of the reviews I read, which were, you know, the majors 
were pretty positive. And I was kind of like, I thought I remembered this getting panned, but it didn't at all. Like it was, it wasn't like Mm -hmm. they didn't put it up there with there will be blood, but they were pretty good reviews. Yeah. I had the same experience. It's weird how our own personal memory of things at the time (laughs) uh, didn't hold up. Weird, right? Yeah, I think so. So where are you now with this movie? Like before we kind of dig in, like what's your, what's your rating or what's your rating system for this? Oh shit. Can you you do it? Are we cutting to the end right now? (laughs) Well, I mean, this is uh, for the listeners who don't listen to Friendly Fire every week. They rate, they actually rate their movies at the end, but it's a rating uh, system composed by Adam specific to the film. So like five, you know. Uh, sticks of dynamite or if it's a movie that has dynamite or whatever. So can you do one on the fly? Oh, shoot. You know, uh, I mean, this is a comedy first and Uh, foremost. I think everyone knows that. that. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, I think if I were to assign an object to the rating system to construct a rating system out of, it would be from the funniest moment of the film to me, which is, Which is when uh, Jenna Malone's character shows the picture. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> of her daughter <laughs> to Joaquin Phoenix and the take. It was that, like a heroin baby, right? Yeah. And the take That's, that he does <laughs> off of looking at that picture is everything to me. And uh, okay. I think it's going to be one to five pictures. Pictures All of right. uh, Jenna Malone's daughter. That's so funny, dude, because as you started, I started thinking about what is Adam going to choose? And the first thing that popped into my head was one to five scary baby pictures. Yeah, <laughs> that is really like the uh, the suitcase from Pulp Fiction moment in this film. I wanted I know, to keep you going back see there. That. <laughs> you want to <laughs> see that baby picture? Yeah. So bad. That's an interesting take uh, by Joaquin Phoenix here. And I saw a couple of reviews said like, the one big misstep was that kind of out of place reaction. Uh, so some people did not like that. Oh, that it was uh, it was too broad. Too broad. Yeah, I think so. This is a film I think that like through its entire runtime makes you wonder what is real and what isn't though, and and that that's a take that is broad enough for me to wonder if it even happened. You know. Like in that moment, I think that's the idea, isn't it? Because Jenna Malone doesn't react to him. That's just See, his, all that's right, his now inner monologue feeling. Now we're going to start talking feeling. about this. G- give me your number. Go ahead and rank it because I, I want to start. I have a feeling I'm going to like this movie more after I talk to you about all this shit. God. So one to five baby pictures. <laughs> the thing about the Friendly Fire custom rating system being as custom as it is. Uh-huh is it forces you not to compare war films to other war films. Yeah, you can't compare this to other Paul Thomas Anderson movies then. Exactly. So I'm going to give it three messed up baby pictures. Okay. But I think I can't help but compare this to other Paul Thomas Anderson films, and that's what gives it the three out of five. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I give it, oh boy, that is tough. I'm going to give it two and a half, and I think I could inch toward three by the end of this conversation because I know that you're going to have a take that I'll appreciate. Movie crush inflation is a thing that happens throughout the course of our conversation, and I could see that too. It really is. I mean, well, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, when someone picks out their favorite movie and you really didn't like it, yeah, it's a challenging episode. I bet. That hasn't happened much. Yeah. But I try to find something in every movie because it's no fun to listen to it if I'm like, nah, I thought that part sucked. Right. <laughs> and someone else really likes it. 
Look at you keeping the listener in mind. I know, I'm but have I don't, to do I don't more like, of that. It's not like I'm faking it or anything. <laughs> it's only happened like once or twice where I was like, eh, didn't really like this movie. Well, I, uh, you and I are looking at each other during using, yeah. using the video conference uh, technology. I have not seen you do the jack off hand motion yet. So, <laughs> or things, the, are, things are going great. Or the insert frozen chocolate banana in my mouth move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought was the funniest part of this movie was Josh Brolin filleting himself and just Josh Brolin's character. I mean, Bigfoot seemed like a Tarantino character. It was really, really great. I thought he was very, very funny. I mean, you evoking Tarantino's name made me think a lot about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it may be recency bias, like but, it, but it definitely felt like these are two uh, two films on the same track a little bit. No, I totally got that vibe. A little Lebowski vibe. It's yeah. like if they took The Big Sleep or in, any sort of early... Uh, you know, private Dick story yeah. married it with like a Lebowski and once upon a time in Hollywood, but with some PT Anderson in there, like I think part of the thing, well, first of all, I guess I should rate it. No, I did two and a half stars, but yeah. that's, that doesn't mean I didn't like it. Like Same. part of it was c- confusion on my part for a lot of the first hour or so of it doesn't feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So I'm a little bit confused. You can tell it wasn't an original yeah. work by him. And uh, and tonally, I didn't know what to think of it because I hadn't read a lot about it. It's weird to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson film that doesn't make me feel like I need to cry at any point for some yeah. reason. And sure. I think I think that comes from what you're describing, like that he didn't write it himself, or it's an adapted screenplay, or whatever. It's yeah. it's based on a an, on a another person's work. Yeah, like Thomas Pinchon, very faithful, supposedly. I feel like there's something about PTA's own writing that has that ability to like just reach inside my chest and start fucking around that this one was incapable of or unwilling to do. But that might just be a genre thing, right? Like, I wish I had some examples of this, but does every great filmmaker have their attempt at doing a Coen Brothers film? Like, like do they all just want to try to do one? This feels like this, that. This feels like a Coen Brothers film in a lot of ways too. Totally, uh, with because it's a, it's a kind of humor I think that the Coen Brothers like to use. Yeah, which is not so obvious. I mean, unless it's like a brother where that was pretty broad. Mm-hmm. But generally, it's like, should I be laughing at this? Like, this is funny to me. It, it's characters and situations that maybe shouldn't be funny, but it is. Right. Right. Yeah, that it's the it's the absurd type of comedy in this one. And the the comparison to Big Lebowski and like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is is right there. And I'm going to try during our conversation not to make that comparison. It just feels really easy. I wonder if like casting Joaquin Phoenix as the main character here made mm-hmm. me think a lot about how crucial that decision is in making a film like this hit that pleasure center. And yeah. there's something about like a, a Jeff Bridges that has like uh like that core that is uh that is gentle and mm-hmm. and kind. Like you never feel threatened by the Big Lebowski 
by by that character where Joaquin Phoenix like as dopey and doped up and as he is in this film uh-huh. like there's something inside him as an actor that feels unsafe in a way that 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 colored this movie a little bit for me like I couldn't get all the way Cheech and Chonged with him because yes. it's because of him. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. It was. I'm glad you said that because I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Like Lebowski, you love the dude. Mm-hmm. Most people love the dude. Mm-hmm. I know some wives that are annoyed by the dude, but <laughs> <laughs> most people love the dude. Extremely endearing character, and you're really emotion. Even though it's a silly movie, emotionally on his side. Yeah, it's harder to get there with Doc. Uh, he's likable a little bit, but he's not the dude. He's not over endearing. Yeah, he, he he hints at it though. Like you want to really like him, but you're just sort of for me at least. I was just kind of more watching this character than investing in this character. I couldn't be sure he was a good person in the way I was pretty confident Lebowski was. Yeah, totally. It was a little more uh, like Lebowski, and maybe it's because Lebowski actually talks about his past being a, uh, you know, democratic uh, protester and Mm -hmm. sort of radical left. And maybe that has a bias with us. I don't know. Because part of the thing is, I think, what is I didn't really know anything about Doc. He worked in a doctor's office, so it was a lot of mystery to it, which is kind of cool. But we don't learn a ton about his uh, backstory. Yeah, I think it's a film that really depends on the amount of empathy you can conjure up for someone who's heartbroken. Like, yeah, his. We all know, and I think we have been personally someone who has uh, who has allowed for someone else to have the kind of power over them the way that uh, that the the Catherine Waterston character has over Joaquin Phoenix. Like, there's something yeah. uh, sympathetic about that. But you really need it to work for you big time, I think, for you to come around on rooting for Doc throughout the film versus just go sitting next to Doc in that in that first trolley car on the ride that is this movie, you know? Yeah, I guess that's where I was because I never really felt like he was heartbroken. Yeah. He maybe because he was just such a stoner. I don't know. Yeah. He seemed kind of nonplussed about everything. But I liked him. I did. Yeah. I, I, I liked him, Dennis. but I did not love him. Yeah. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis is great. Dennis, who he pronounces Dennis. <laughs> One of the great uh, kind of uh, nonverbal side stoner characters in movie history. I think. Yeah. Presented without explanation throughout the film. He's just there. He's just sort of his lackey. You get the feeling he does not get paid any money or anything. I love a wheel man in, in a heist film or in sure. any other kind of film. So I <laughs> yeah. expected Dennis to die at any moment. I kind of did too. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the acting was great. I mean, uh, right after the master to put walking Phoenix in such a different kind of, uh, costume was pretty interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I like the guy. It, it, it was just a hard character to really get behind and root for. Yeah. For me. 
The film also never gives you a chance to miss him because you were always with him in every single scene, right? Yeah, he really is, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of, I can appreciate cutting away a little bit to get that. Whatever happened to Doc? You never ask that question in this movie because you're always with him. Right. And is he, why is he working in a doctor's office? What kind of, Yeah. <laughs> what kind of person goes to see him as a doctor? I guess someone who wants that. to hit the tank. <laughs> hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They had that great, uh, he had that great part, which a little nod to his wife when, uh, you know, Maya Rudolph was playing the receptionist and uh, he, uh, 
threw down a mini Ripperton music yeah. cue that's right after a scene with with Maya. That was nice. Great song too. That is that's one of those perfect closing the loop moments in a movie that yeah you just have to live for. The music was great. I mean, it was uh, Johnny Greenwood again with the score, but mm-hmm. the uh, the I mean, he's always going to have great soundtracks. But all that Neil Youngman and yeah. Not Neil Youngman. That was a different guy. <laughs> Neil Youngman. So good, man. Right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely made me want to put on the Harvest record. Just uh, chill out. God, I love that song. Yeah. Um. Well, let's talk about the setting. I mean, there's, I think, it's no accident that it was 1970 and not 68 or 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, that weird time at the beginning of the 70s, I think, where the... The 60s didn't quite work out like everyone thought in the, you know, sort of end of the that feeling in a lot of ways. But before before the 70s really sort of started leaking in yeah. and also some really weird holdouts like Josh Brolin, like these kind of late 50s, early 60s guys that were still in 1970 wearing the flat top. Yeah. And buttoned up like that. Right. Interesting time period. It really is, and and so many references to Manson in yeah. in the film too, and cults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of that. I can't imagine what it was like to to live in California at the time. Yeah, and it's interesting too because Boogie Nights. I guess they they did the the switch from the seventies to the eighties, right? That with was that the New Year's inflection Eve party. point. Yeah, yeah. You hear my dogs? I do. They're having a great time. <laughs> they are. We'll just leave that in. They're barking at somebody, which they do all the time. Uh, but yeah, the acting is great. I mean, he's awesome. I thought the the one character that I thought was that he didn't do a lot with, but maybe that was just the point, was Benicio del Toro's character. Right. But it's weird to cast him if you're not going to really like fucking make a weird character. That felt very... Uh, self-aware and by that i mean you don't want to have him be the same person he was in fear and loathing like the the help the 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 crazy attorney and as soon as he introduced himself you you feel like that's the direction that this could go but he's in it very few times yeah yeah i mean underused for sure yeah Uh, reese witherspoon was good I did not expect to know that Martin Short was in this movie. Yeah. And I was really, really delighted when he came walking, stepped off that elevator. The one person elevator. Oh, man. I want that so bad. Yeah, that opens. I've always wanted an elevator that opened right into your apartment. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah, for sure. Um, He was great. And it made me wonder why he isn't used more like that. Agreed. Yeah. He should be in every movie. <laughs> like so many comics, like there's set, there's like that, that heart of darkness to them that, uh, that translates so well to film. Yeah. It's a treat for a Martin Short fan to, uh, to see him in this, but it's, but even if you don't know who he is or why he's important, like, I think you can sense that, that darkness inside, yeah, that uh, that really works. He's he's yeah. really great. <laughs> that scene was really funny. Yeah, and, and that that whole part was a bit of a diversion. Uh, 
I guess they bring, and the names in this are great. I guess those are all straight from the book, but uh, I guess the Japonica thing sort of comes up there and that does have a thread to the overall plot, but I think it was definitely a little bit of fun they were just having with Martin Short and that character. Do you think the names were one of the things that, uh, that professional film reviewers had a hard time with? Because like a lot of the, a lot of the reviews for this film had to do with uh, it's, it's coherence or incoherence as a story. And as I was watching it, the thing that struck me most was I'm not, I am the person who gets introduced to people at parties that forgets your name as soon as you say it. No, that's me too. And so as I was being taken through this film, we're hearing about so many characters just by their name, by by two different people having a conversation about a third person. Yeah, totally. And this is a thing that happens over and over in this film to the extent that by the time we meet that person, I'm working it out in my head where I've heard that name before instead of placing myself in the scene in a way I like to be. Oh, interesting. And that made it hard to hold the story together when I'm when I'm constantly trying to to place a face to a name that I've heard. It's it's a tough movie to follow. I mean, I, I did read stuff that said it you know it really helps if you've read the book. Um, I, I kind of want to read it now. I've never mm-hmm. read anything by him, and I did a little research on him. I didn't know that really anything. So yeah, about his uh, reclusive nature and all that stuff, and it definitely piqued my interest to check it out, but. That's just a literary hole that I've got. It's, I have the same one. We have the same holes. We do. (laughs) (laughs) I always knew that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think. He supposedly in the movie is a cameo, but uh, P.T. Anderson has not, he's sort of half denied it and hasn't really said one way or the other. I bet he's one of the guys under the hood in that, in that meeting on the compound. The, the woo-woo meeting out there. Oh, okay. That'd be a good place for him, I think. Because you don't see too many faces besides Owen Wilson's and that guy with the swastika face tattoo. I bet I bet they got him in that room and and just Probably covered so. him up a little bit. I don't know where else yeah. he'd be. Party scene? Unless it was just, I don't know, unless he was just some weird random background. Yeah. Which would be a kind of a strange thing to do. I mean, I know it's unusual that he even agreed to have uh, one of his books made into a movie. So it wouldn't surprise me if he snuck in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dennis got that fucking guy. <laughs> I mean, I thought all the, like there was so much uh, and, and it's not overacting at all. I think just so much, so many of these small roles, they were just sort of chewing through those scenes. Yeah. In a really kind of big fun way. And like, that's what I appreciated about it. Like when they went and saw his wife, when they went and saw uh, the Wolfman's wife Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, she was dolled up in the high heels and bathing suit and does her interview. Like she doesn't put on a little bathing suit robe. She just does her interview on the couch and that her personal uh, advisor or whatever comes in and he's this like, you know, juiced up model looking guy. You know what? I really appreciated that. That was very Cohen's brothers to me. One of my favorite uh, lines of dialogue or exchanges in this movie is in that scene where uh, Doc is like, "How do you do?" And that guy in the yellow trunks is like, "Pleasurable." Yeah. 
I thought at first we were never going to see his face because it just frames yeah. him between like his pecs and his, you know, It package. felt like a, a little bit of a Muppet Babies <laughs> moment where we were just going to see legs the entire scene. Oh, man. And uh, Owen Wilson was good, too. I mean, he was... Uh, do your Owen Wilson impression. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love it. It's a one-word impression. <laughs> There are he, left uh, more he, words in a few of my other impressions. <laughs> he was good though. It, I liked him. I liked seeing him use like this, which was kind of a small part, and uh, yeah. he 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 didn't have to be like Owen Wilson for a second. Yeah, it's interesting to see like some Wes Anderson to Paul Thomas Anderson crossover. You know, totally. Like this this was this was a film that PTA like did not use his his players for. That's right. In an interesting way. And I mean, uh, I guess Joaquin was a repeat. Right. But right. Was anyone else? Right. But uh, I don't think anyone else was, man. I don't think so. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. That's a conscious choice. But it's neat to, to see him play with other crayons, you know? And, uh, and I think you're right. Owen Wilson's usage here was really interesting. And he got to get big, too. Like when he was in that, at that Nixon rally. That was fun. They did a little <laughs> yeah, Forrest pretty, Gump moment. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Those all looked really good. Yeah. Forrest Gump would look so much better these days if they tried to do that. This film looked great Yeah. for what it was trying to do. Like, I, uh, I, I got the Apple TV version, like the 4K version of it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, God, it really looked period- you know, it did it looked sun drenched? Yeah, L.A. And now that you're there, you know, you get a, you've had enough of that to know. To the extent that it was like muddy sometimes in some scenes, like it wasn't a super crisp digital looking film at yeah. all. It was it was really really satisfying visually. Yeah, and it was what's his face again, right? Uh, Bob Elswit, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, he is the man. Um, I was I listening was... to a podcast where uh, Aaron Rodgers was the guest. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Oh, interesting. And he mentioned that he was in a State Farm commercial. <laughs> and could you guess who was on camera for the State Farm commercial? Bob Ellswit. Bob fucking Ellswit. Can you believe that? I can, dude, because I used to work on TV commercials and... You know, I worked on a commercial with Tony Scott and Michael Bay and like That's it's the awesome. same with DPs. Yeah. They they it's quick fucking fat money. Yeah. <laughs> like Bob yeah. Ellswood is getting his rate. He's probably making more per day oh, on yeah. that than he is any movie. Gotta be. And and not having to go far from home. What was great about this interview with Aaron Rodgers was that he could appreciate it. He was like, People who show up for state farm commercials probably don't recognize the guy. Like, yeah. you see the white hair, you see him behind the camera, you know who that is. But Aaron Rodgers knew? Aaron like, Rodgers knew, and oh, Aaron wow. Rodgers is a film nerd. Like, oh, uh, I didn't know that. It was, it was cool. awesome to hear him geek out about Robert Ellswood on a State Farm commercial, but... I didn't know... Oh, you're a Packers guy. Yeah, I'm a Packers That's guy. That's right. I yeah. forgot about us watching that game yeah. in San Francisco. That's right, at the wine bar. Get, at the wine bar. Getting wine smashed. Yep, in the afternoon. It's lovely. We can lovely. get all kinds of smashed, you and me. <laughs> um yeah i mean it's like robert Ellswit. he gets the call and he's like do you want to make you want to go shoot a state farm commercial with aaron Rodgers and make 
twenty three thousand yeah. dollars over the next four days. Yeah. <laughs> What's your answer? Of course. <laughs> I don't. Know. Well, plus between film jobs, you know, that's just great money. Do you really have a lot of confidence that you're paying the least in premiums when your insurance company is paying Bob Elswit to shoot the commercials? <laughs> yeah, they could. You could have shot that commercial. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not using you as like. No. Yeah. I. Tommy Wiseau or anything. No. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the one thing that cracked me up about the Owen Wilson character was when, uh, Jenna Malone was talking about their relationship in the past. Yeah. And she, and he was a surf sax player. <laughs> who, uh, it, who actually that? played solos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Improvised solos. That's great. I didn't quite recognize her at first for some reason, even though it totally looks like Jenna Malone. I think I just hadn't seen her in a while. Maybe. It's funny how, like how the right prosthetic can really blow your mind about a recognizable actress. Like, like the forehead that Charlize Theron wore in monster makes her look right. unrecognizable, but the teeth in Jenna Malone's mouth make <laughs> yeah. her look fake? unrecognizable. Were those fake because of uh, her drawing attention to him? Was that the deal? I mean, I hope so now that I've said something like that about her teeth, but They're pretty big. I'm looking now. I think it's an appliance. It's gotta okay. be. <laughs> Uh, and then we had Joanna Newsom in there in a yeah uh, kind of an interesting role. Like, <clears throat> so what's your what's this whole thing about? Does she exist? Like, oh, do you think there are literally question? things in this? Well, no, I thought you said at the beginning, or maybe you're talking about something else that some parts of this movie you really didn't even think happened or oh, existed. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of her character as the omniscient narrator, but I think that's a great film paper. Okay. <laughs> I think that really works. I mean, well, you never you see her. About, you don't see her interact. Well, I guess she's in that first pizza pizza parlor scene with a group of other people. What I was talking about specifically was, was and an example of it was that take that Doc had looking at the picture was the questionable reality that existed that Doc lived in throughout the film. Like, are these things actually happening? Are these outbursts actually happening? Gotcha. Are there actually, you know, a hundred cops crawling through the desert outside of the, uh, the brothel? Like, like, are these things real? And a lot of the visual gags that, that we're told exist in this film, like, are those real? Now, is, did, did you cook this up or is this a, a popular, you know, online theory? I'm, I'm bouncing this off of you in the moment. Okay. <laughs> Let's workshop really it and see if it, it plays. Uh, I never thought about it. I mean, I mean, I suppose that adds a... Your contribution a, uh, to this hypothesis is all about uh, that Joanna Newsom <laughs> character that I didn't even well, get I with mean, until you brought it up, that she may not be real. You just mentioned it. Who all did she... Was she with besides Joaquin? I mean, I the only scene I remember her interacting with other people was in that pizza parlor scene in okay. the beginning, right after Shasta shows up for the first time, like where Doc goes to chill out after that initial interaction. Well, I will say this. I mean, I think it was kind of a smart move um, and slightly necessary to kind of, it's a confusing story. She helps orient the story a bit. Yeah. And, uh, and and that stuff's pulled straight from the book. So I think people like fans of his work of the book, I think probably appreciate the, you know, the verbatim uh, narration. 
I think you really need her in this movie to keep us as as grounded as we are in in our understanding of the story. I think without her, it's I won't say it's a mess, but I think it's it's that much more difficult to comprehend yeah. what's going on without her. It is messier. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. She's great as everyone else is in this movie. Like she's not in this film a bunch, but she's memorable and really good. Yeah. So was Reese Witherspoon. It was cool seeing her in a role like this, I think. Yeah. Um Eric of, Roberts is yeah. has has <laughs> like a great. centerpiece scene. Uh-huh. Like like shot from below, like one of the yeah. most unflattering angles that any actor he's able to pull off because he's Eric yeah. Roberts, and uh, he looked good. He just owns that moment, really good. Yeah, that was that was great. I'm also an old fan of Martin Donovan from the Hal Hartley days. Yeah, and to see him come in as uh, uh, Japonica's dad yeah. at the end was pretty great. Yeah, and Adrian Prussia. These names are so good. So great. <laughs> This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, things got really weird there toward the end. Uh, you know, it took me a while to even figure out I was watching a comedy. It might have behooved me to read more about it beforehand. Because totally, I just didn't get it because it was P.T. Anderson. Right. And then the more I started to kind of get it and feel it, uh, I think it's a movie that I would like more the second time. Totally. This was my second time, and I liked it a lot more than the first time I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and it all goes back to that. I mean, there's an unfortunately, I think there's an expectation with Paul Thomas Anderson films where it's going to it's going to get inside and it's going to mess you up, at least if you're me. And I kept waiting for that that inflection point where where Doc is so traumatized that that it's super affecting. But but that's not what this film is about. No, and there's not a father son sort of mentor character right. like he's he's really known for. Yeah, uh, I guess it does have a little to do with family, and that he's trying to reunite, which you aren't even super clear on till the end. Actually, yeah, that he has this sort of drive to reunite uh, Owen Wilson with Jenna Malone and daughter. Yeah, that's that's the punctuation on the film is that that shot that just hangs on Doc in the car. It was really sweet, too. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. You get that great scene afterward, too. The last scene with uh, Brolin, when he kicks in the fucking door and (laughs) sits down and starts eating that big fucking tray of weed. Oh, my God, that was so great. I thought so much about, like, my, my production brain was totally activated in that moment. Because oh, yeah. as as you as you, I know you thought about like how many takes right do you get for for a scene that's messy is a thought yeah. like because the reset's awful but also like the details of Josh Brolin's lower lip uh-huh. going going it. above the bowl like you have to direct <laughs> that right because you're behind the it's camera so and you're like cheat to the camera a little bit with that lower lip Josh like really emphasize the lip get up right. under that bowl. And, oh man! And for Josh that, Brolin, I, I mean, it stands out. It's like the cinnamon challenge. I I don't know how Josh Brolin does that without coughing, or coughing and laughing, or yeah. what have you. And that seems to yeah. be like <laughs> that's not something you talk about when you talk about great actors, like their their ability to not fuck up a scene like that. But I think it's a quality of great actors to not break uh-huh. yeah. when your mouth is filled with oregano. <laughs> And you get a bowl yeah. up to your face. It's such a great moment for him. He's awesome he's great, in this movie. Man. He's so funny. I mean, he's he's got the funniest scenes in the movie, I think. There's that yeah. scene. There's the one where uh, he, uh, <laughs> he gets just browbeated by his wife. God. She just comes in and owns him. She's calling him Christian. Like, you don't even know his name until that part of the movie. And then, like, calling him what he is. Like, don't walk away from me like a beaten dog. Yeah, God, I only I only ask so for one sad. night a week out of you. <laughs> and then the scene in the Asian uh, diner or whatever. The pancake scene is yeah, spectacular. He's for pancakes. <laughs> he's, 
help me understand this scene. Is he getting like, green onion pancakes or is he getting pancakes with syrup? Like, like, no, of, I think like from a diner. I got the feeling that they were uh, Asian pancakes. Right? I, yeah, I mean, it's clearly a Japanese restaurant or whatever, like, because there's, there's stuff on the walls that indicate that. Yeah, although he said his mom made them. But he's dipping them into what looks like a diner-style ramekin of syrup. So it's so <laughs> confusing it what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. He talked about being there for the respect or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the scene where he gets... Uh, and this is it's one It's truly an upsetting just... amount of Japanese pancake he's, he's eating. <laughs> um, the one scene I thought was really funny and, and sort of confused me a little bit, but now that I fully embrace it as a comedy. I think that's just what it was, which was when after Doc goes and visits with Wolfman's wife at that party and he's in that suit with a wig on and he comes out and just runs on top of the police car. Yeah. And gets that really funny slow-mo beat down. Like, what was that? I think that's another bit of surrealism that that to me felt like it may or may not be happening. It may just feel like it may just look like what it feels like to Doc instead of what it actually okay. is. I like this read. I'm going to have to watch this again. Yeah. It had to be fun for an actor to get that physical. And it had to be fun yeah. as a character to to give that kind of double middle fingers to to Bigfoot. Like, I'm going to throw myself up onto the hood of your car, you fucking asshole. Yeah. Like, you're not going to do it to me. I'm going to do it to myself. <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of middle fingers too. The yeah, the, detectives, the, 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 the FBI, around. yeah, and Peace then the girl fingers. at the end with the, which I thought was great. That ending bit with when they had to exchange the drugs. Yeah, and they send this like nuclear family in a in a wooded station wagon. Yeah, <laughs> and the girl just flicks them off at the end. That was big fun. I like that that composition. It's almost uh, it's almost a western film genre composition. Like the super long yeah. lens, yeah, into yeah. The, facing off, like uh, in profile of the car and the characters, and it yeah. makes that like Sears or whatever in the background look just monolithic back right. there, like that a let, fucking shopping mall in the valley, just looking imposing and dangerous. Yeah, I think it's a sneakily good-looking film, yeah. but when you're used to Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, showiness, which I like with the camera and just sort of known for doing those big camera moves or really complicated long camera moves. There's not a ton of that in here. A lot of close-ups, a lot of actors without a ton of makeup on, Mm -hmm. like a lot of unkind sort of real close-ups. Yeah. I mean, you, you're definitely spoiled with his films because there are some really long sequences uh, without cuts that I don't think you notice until they're over. Yeah. You don't appreciate them until they're done because it just comes with the package. Yeah. Like we're spoiled with, with this filmmaker in that way. And I mean, they're no less enjoyable, but, but they don't stick out in a way that they might in another film because it just comes with the territory. Yeah. I mean, certainly some beautiful shots though, uh, that, just that opening uh, bit with her, the sunlight behind her hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
beaming around her hair was just gorgeous. And there are a couple of shots toward the end that are really, really pretty. Um, but it never felt like, I don't know. I think when you're shooting Southern California like that, you can kind of lean into that a little too much and rely on that a little too much because yeah. you get these great sunsets all the time and these great blue skies. But in that, uh, New York is a character in the film kind of way yeah. for LA. Yeah. And I think, I think he, ha- it was measured. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's trying to show off too much here visually. No. And I think he got those reps in, in, in Boogie Nights and, and several other films set in Southern California, you know? Yeah. It's not really what this is about. Yeah. It is beautiful though. It's so much no, more beachy is. than any other Paul Thomas Anderson film. And that's enjoyable. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't wait for this next thing he's doing. Yeah. The high school kid in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, I think they just wrapped uh, at the time of this recording. That's great. Which is something to look forward to in the new year. Absolutely. Um, another thing I thought was really kind of funny and interesting, I guess it's a book thing too, was how the doc is just like, he's just collecting cases basically. Yeah. Like it feels like every other person he meets is like, hey, I need you to, <laughs> I need you to find some out something about somebody for me. At a certain point in the film, I was like, they never talk about money. Like, what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually they do. But yeah, it is really that, bit. that kind of film where he's just sort of a baton that's being passed among suspects in this crime ring. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But like the contract yeah. employee in me is always like, you're not making this official, <laughs> man. You're going to get screwed. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, I mean, his whole business is a little mysterious in that you never hear about money at all. And mm-hmm. then also he's just sort of like, he didn't, Paul Thomas Anderson didn't do the thing where he's sort of the stoner detective, but he's a super genius stoner detective. Mm-hmm. But he's also not a dumbass who just like very broadly stumbles upon every clue. Right. It was this weird middle ground, which kind of made it another ambiguity of the character that was hard to relate to. Cause I think we're so used to one or the other. That's a great point. Like there's a passivity to doc's character where he just kind of floats. Yeah. He gets very little agency throughout this case. He very naturally follows things in a linear fashion and right. never really breaks anything for himself due to his he own doesn't. intelligence. And I wonder if that's one of the, like to the extent that there's a problem with generating empathy for him as a, as a heroic figure in the film. Like, I wonder if that's part of it is that like, he doesn't do anything great enough for us to respect <laughs> right. and, and, and see him in that way. Is this Fletch? <laughs> That's the comp right there. <laughs> is this Fletch meets Big Lebowski? Yeah. <laughs> kind of is. No, it's not really Fletch, but I mean, it's not not Fletch. It's not not Fletch. <laughs> those mutton chops, man. I'll take those all day long. So big. Like you get the sense that he's going to start, he, that he's going to solve it, but not in some like... He never even remarks about figuring anything out. Like usually in a movie like this, there's like s- several aha moments. And you're right. He just is really just sort of bouncing around. 
I love how there's no costume change that covers for the mutton chops. Like, I think yeah. there's a scene where he's like, well, what's the dress code at the restaurant? And the guy's like, yeah. well, coat and tie if you've got it. But like, there's no, <laughs> nothing's going to cover up those chops. No. And I think his look is like, I think he and Brolin's character in, uh, in Bigfoot were these weird two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't have surprised me if at the end of this movie, they're revealed to be brothers or something. Yeah. Were you wanting or expecting that epiphany at the end? Like, all of this was going to come to a point, a satisfying point at the end of the story that made it all make sense? The epiphany of of reuniting Owen Wilson or or with uh, Shasta? Either or both or neither, like something else. Like you're talking about like like the, the revelation of a character like that, that, that he and J- the Josh Brolin character or brothers or whatever could be a version of this. But like the, the mental explosion, the mental climax that often comes at the end of a movie that you don't quite understand until its conclusion, you know? You know, I thought this movie didn't have the strongest finale. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? It's unfair to, it's unfair to Paul Thomas Anderson to keep like using his previous work as a, as a measurement for what he's doing, but it's easy to make that the answer to a question like this, right? Like at the conclusion of let's do this together because I did not prepare to have this conversation in this way, but like at the end of heart eight, uh, it's Sydney looking down at the at the bloody uh, shirt sleeve. Like we get yeah. we get a nice tight conclusion there. In, yeah. in Boogie Nights, it's uh, it's Mark Wahlberg's uh, giant dick at the end. You know, yeah, before ready mirror. to go shoot out and shoot another movie. He's back in the game. The mirror monologue in Magnolia. It's uh, it's Officer Jim. Uh, talking to Melora Walters, we get that tidy ending. So great! Uh, it's there will be blood. It's it's a bowling pin. Yeah, like the, like his films tend to come to a conclusion that is like a really tight bow. Yeah, and that's another quality of this film that just feels different. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't. It just kind yeah. of breathes. Yeah, I mean, it. I think more than anything, it felt just very obviously like an adaptation. Yeah. Um, I want, like, we don't know him, but I want him to be able to do stuff like this. I want a creator sure. to get the satisfaction of dabbling. Yeah, yeah. Without without two assholes like us criticizing him for it, <laughs> you know? Like, well, I mean, if this is his worst movie, like, you're doing pretty great. Yeah, you absolutely as a director. are. <laughs> yeah, and I want... I want creators that I like and respect to be able to stretch in this way. And like, what other type of career is there where you're able to do this, you know, where you're able to get weird and then maybe come back if you want to, or go in a different direction. Like this is, this is part of a a creative person's life to get a rep like this. And I, and I'm just like reluctant to criticize it too harshly because it's just not what I was expecting or, yeah, no, or it's I'm with you all the way. Different from what he's made previously. Yeah, because he made all these movies, this great run. Yeah, of these really big sweeping 
like tough stories. And this is a long movie too, but uh, yeah, it's my own shit that I just want to be hurt by his movies. Like, right. (laughs) That's my problem. It's not his fault. It it was an artist going like, yeah, you know what? I want to try something different this time out. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, I'll always take that. And they, and they deserve that. If it takes that to keep a great filmmaker working instead of getting bored and retiring, like, yeah, give me 10 of these. Easily, if it yeah, if it keeps giving us the occasional there will be blood or a boogie nights or whatever, like, like you bought it, paid for. No, for sure. Uh, I definitely want to see it again. Yeah, it's a movie that I did enjoy to a certain degree, and I think now tone that, that we've talked like I won't spend the first hour wondering if it's a comedy, mm-hmm. so I can really start relishing in the comedy. That can really drive a viewer into the ditch. That that uh, that translation of expecting a genre and getting a different one, like it's hard to recover from that mid movie. Yeah, I mean, Punch Drunk Love. He definitely went down a different tonal path, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I got that one a little quicker. Yeah, but it's still sort of like this in that you know he's he's an ambiguous guy when it comes to this kind of tone he's not yeah he didn't go straight up broad and make it very obviously a comedy which can be i think he likes clearly likes to make viewers uncomfortable yeah or else he wouldn't make movies like the master or there will be blood right so maybe this is just another kind of version of that yeah yeah we're really exploring the space of discomfort in in this (laughs) three film series right yeah this one's there's a bit of discomfort in like what what exactly am I watching here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a film that I like more for having had this conversation, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm up to three uh, weird baby pictures. Hey, there you go. <laughs> are you to three and a half or are you still at three? Oh, I'm at three and a half, for sure. Oh, okay. All right. That might be the, the three and a half tequila sodas talking. <laughs> Well, all right, dude, you got anything else? No, I don't think I do. I Good, lo- not great. I love this film festival we're doing. And I, do I and I'm grateful and excited that there are more films being added to this list. Like it Yeah. I was so happy to see that they were in production uh on another PTA film. Me and too. And that it wasn't going to be a 5-year break or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we get Phantom Thread next. That's right. Which uh, is a movie I liked a lot. And I and I only saw once, and I can't wait to see it again. Oh, good. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, and I like it a whole bunch. Really cool. All right, my friend. Uh, well, that wraps for this one. We'll take care of that. The new P.T. Anderson, obviously. And I love your idea about diving, keeping it PTA adjacent and diving into his uh, his mentors and inspirations. Whatever keeps us doing this thing of ours, yeah. I'm all for it. Or we could just do Fletch. <laughs> Let's do Fletch before we do the other thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just stick there in the stick it there in the middle. <laughs> yeah. The the Fletch interregnum. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, dude. Everyone check out Friendly Fire, Greatest Gen, and Greatest Discovery. Yeah. Yeah, please and, do. Uh, follow you where? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Cut for Time. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. All right. We'll see you later, dude. See you, Chuck. 
Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce City Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.